Green Left Weekly Radio. There is one newspaper that is independent of powerful interests, and that's Green Left Weekly. It's a people's voice committed to human and civil rights, environmental sustainability, democracy and equality. It presents ideas mainstream media won't. It's the leading source of local, national and international news analysis and discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movements. It exposes the lies and distortions of the power brokers and helps us to better understand the world around us. Good morning, listeners. You're listening to another week of Green Left Weekly Radio. Um, it is 7.01 a.m. And um, in the studio we have today, we have um, myself, Jacob, and Zhang. Hello, hello. All right, so we have a pretty um, good program lined up um, for listeners today. Um, but I guess before I announce what we have coming up, um, I'd like to acknowledge that FreeCR today is being broadcast to you from the wandering land of the Kulin Nation. Um, I'd like to pay our respect um, to Elders past and present and that this always was, um, always will be Aboriginal land. Now, I guess in terms of um, what we have lined up, um, at around 7.45, we're going to be tuning in to talk to uh, an activist from Eritrea. Um, his name is um, Simon Salmon, uh, and he is also uh, a Catholic priest. And um, in fact, one, um, one of the sort of things that's been happening in Eritrea has been the pro- prosecution of um, of Catholic priests and Christians um, in, in the context of, the, of um, being ruled by a dictatorship. And then at 8.10am, we're going to be um, talking to, I think, someone from Earthworker about sort of the lately. Yeah, Catherine Cunningham, the Secretary of Earthworker Energy Co-op uh, based in Morwell. Yep, and they, and so, but I guess yeah, for the next forty-five minutes, um, we pretty much have sort of free reign to really talk about anything. Um, there's quite a lot of, um, you know, there's been quite a lot of things that have been, I guess, have been happening in the past week, and um, I guess the first one that's sort of been dominating the headlines of re- recently of late has been the whole Israel follow. Um, situation. Uh, the the uh, rugby player who um, who basically has you know, been sacked by Rugby Australia for saying outright homophobic um, things and um, and then has been trying to attempt, as a rich millionaire rugby player, has been attempting to fundraise over $3 million to pay for his legal fees. Um, so it all started with a GoFundMe and then GoFundMe um, pulled it and then the Australian Christian Lobby has taken up his case. Um, and I think... The few things I think to say about this is I think the right are clearly trying to use this as their way to, to parrot just yet another campaign about how much they care about freedom of speech, um, despite the fact that when it's the other way around, um, they certainly don't, um, they're, not, they're certainly not rallying the fight when um, LGBTI teachers are getting sacked by, um, by their schools. Um, um, for simply for being gay, they're not. They're not. They're not. Um, they're not. You know, rallying in in terms of well, what's another example you saying you can think of? Uh, there's uh, there's many. 
<laughs> yeah, but I think this is really it's a case. Not, I, I didn't see the Australian Christian lobby coming out and uh, supporting the ABC after the AFP raids. Yeah, that would be another example. So, but of course, it's all framed in the in the context of religious freedoms, which I just don't. I don't think that. It has it has anything to do with that? Uh, the majority of Christians and um, religious people do not share the the um, the uh, views that um, that Israel for the um, is that how you pronounce his name? Is Falau. Falau mm. um, shares, um, and they and it's really about bigotry, um, and it's also the and the right are basically using using him as like a poster child to basically put forward their sort of anti sort of LGBTI kind of agenda and also parry on about political correctness and freedom of speech and mm. religious freedoms to, in the name of basically not freedom of speech, but basically the right to be a bigot and to have, face no consequences for it. Mm. Yeah, and I saw a good, um, I saw a good meme going around the interwebs and it was... Uh, Someone uh, rhetorically asking Israel Folau for advice and quoting all this um, all this stuff out of the Old Testament, so i.e. the same part of the Bible where the homophobic stuff is uh, located, and he's saying, "Oh yeah, my neighbour." Um, uh, what what was one of them? I, I um. I understand from reading the Old Testament that I need to stay away from uh, women when they are menstrually unclean, but I've found that they take offence when asking when I ask them about this. <laughs> what should I do? And uh, oh, my neighbour wears a uh, a blend of two fabrics, cotton and polyester. Is it really necessary to stone them to death for this? Uh, at the, when I uh, when I want to sacrifice a bull on the altar to God, uh, it, it's uh, it creates a smell which is pleasing to God. But my neighbours don't like it. What do I do? So yeah, just going through and listing some of the other uh, anachronistic. Oh yeah, uh, the uh, the Old Testament tells me that I'm allowed to buy slaves but only from a neighbouring nation. My neighbour said, oh, it's all right to buy slaves from PNG, but not New Zealand. What's that all about? <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, no, but I guess the next kind of thing that's, I guess, more urgent um, and um, something more pressing is um, probably listeners have probably been aware about the sort of growing tensions between um, the United States and Iran. Um, and Scott Morrison has been quoted as um, basically saying that they are the government, um, the Australian government, is in talks um, with um, with the US about you know whatever is necessary uh, at this stage. You know, basically indicating that you know if there was to be a world war or some kind of war between Iran and um, in the US, then Australia would be fully in lockstep with um, with the United States in supporting that course of action, probably going as far as like we did with the Iraqi war, um, sending Australian troops, etc. Yeah. And I think, you know, we um, it's very important, I think, especially on our program, that we have to oppose any attempts, um, any, you know, calls for war, and we have to, any attempts of, you know, Australia um, being part of any kind of future foreign conflict in the in the future. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's disturbing, and it's just quite brazen how they use the same bullshit excuses to try and justify their latest war, like this sort of fake attack on that um, on that ship in the Straits of Hormuz, and then uh, oh, they shot down our drone. Here's an idea: don't fly drones uh, into countries that are on the other side of the planet, USA. Get out of their backyard. You have no business being in Iran stirring up shit. Get out of there. This idea that it's aggressive of Iran to shoot down an American drone that's in their airspace is just ridiculous. Like, and and what about the context? It's not like the US has never invaded countries in that region. The US is the aggressor here. <laughs> it's... The, 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 the way that they can invert the reality and try and say that it's Iran that's being aggressive is just absurd. Mm. Yeah, and um, the next, the other, um, I guess what are the um, what is the other kind of news story I'd like to mention? Do you have something you want to bring up, um, Zane? Oh, as a rank and file CFMEU member, there's the John Setka case. It's uh, you know, he was convicted of harassment on uh, Wednesday and given a good behaviour bond. And you know, what do we, what do we do? I, I, it, to me, it's obvious that John Setka should not be the leader of our union, hmm. and it's problematic. There's a range of problematic responses that have occurred in response to Setka digging in, saying, "No, nah, I'm the secretary, and I'm here to stay." The number one problematic response is, as a general rule, people feel the need to defend Setka. Uh, the, the way that he's kind of defended himself and that others in the union have defended him is to conflate this harassment charge with the trumped-up blackmail charges that were made against Setka, mm. as if to say it's all a big conspiracy by the state. Uh, no, you harassed your partner. It's it's not a conspiracy by the state. And was John Setka under stress? Undoubtedly. But so are a lot of men who are um, violent towards their partners. That's not actually a, an excuse because the minute you say, oh, well, violence towards women is unacceptable or except when you're under stress. Well, you can't bend the rules for John Setka without bending the rules for everyone else. Hmm. So that's one issue. Uh, people are saying, oh, I've, I've seen a lot of discussion on Facebook, on this union's uh, Facebook page. Oh, you know, uh, he was just swearing at his wife. We've all done that. It's not too bad. Well, he wasn't just swearing at his wife. There was an, a, a huge barrage of calls and texts in, in one particular day in the in what's been leaked to the media, who knows what else there is. Uh, it's the minute you start saying, well, physical violence is bad, but all the other forms of harassment, oh, they're, they're not so bad. That's that's not how it works. Hmm. Violence is not just about physical violence. It's other forms of violence are 
also a problem. And the minute you start minimising them and saying, oh, well, th- th- that wasn't too bad because no fists were thrown, that's, that's not how this works. So that's an issue. And then another issue that I've seen is people saying, oh, defend John Setka, militant CFMEU, rah, rah, or Sally McManus, all these other unions that are speaking out against Setka, they're kind of fake unions, and we're the best union, and we have the best pay and conditions for our members. And, A, it's not true. Like, if you're on a unionised EBA site, sure, the pay and conditions are great, what about the majority of construction workers who work in residential, who don't work on union sites? Their paying conditions are not that good. They're kind of... The, the, the minimum wage in construction is pretty similar to the minimum wage in most other areas. It's about 25 bucks an hour. And there's a hell of a lot of labourers and painters and plasterers out there getting paid the minimum wage out in residential land or less. So, yes, wages and conditions on union sites are good. Um, Safety is enforced. That's undoubtedly a good thing. But there's a lot of people out there in the majority of the construction industry, it's ununionised, who are not on great rates of pay. And your average nurse or your average teacher will be getting paid better than these ununionised construction workers. So Mm. this idea that... Only the CFMEU is that, you know, we're the king of the unions and every other union is a fake and a fraud. That's not how, that's not how solidarity works. It's not how union consciousness works. We're a working class together and you don't beat your chest and say we're the best and all the rest of you are shit. That's, that's not yeah. how it works. Well, I think, um, I guess a few kind of implications, um, I think flowing out of this is like, I mean, my personal view, um, is I think, you know, I ultimately, you know, I support the right of, you know, members to decide who their union leaders are. But I guess my view is that if sector, now that we know that we can say this because it's all being in the media now, um, that sector has been charged. Um, and, you know, uh, I, I think it's unsavory for any union leader to, to stand as a union leader. Um, and have these charges against him. Um, we're not calling on him, um, on, on him to, you know, be expelled from the CFMU or anything. Yeah, we're not, we're not sending um, him to the and, salt mines. And, um, we also think that, you know, um, men are perfectly capable of changing his behaviour. And I think, I think John Sector is not irredeemable in that aspect. But, you know, for him to hold this position, um, as secretary, I think is problematic for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess the next thing is some of the political implications coming out of this is I think, you know, we should reject all the attempts by the right to exploit this. I mean, if, I mean, I think, I, I think, you know, just reading the Herald Sun about this, I think it's actually pretty disgraceful that they're, they're going on, um, the attack on John Sector for this. I mean, all well and good, but this is the most, it's very hypocritical coming from the Herald Sun. If the Herald Sun put um, forward the same standards um, that they put forward, um, to, that they're putting forward to John Sector, to all their journalists and all these other people that they've defended in the past, they probably would have sacked half their journalists or sacked half their columnists, especially Andrew Bolt. Um, for example, who's, you know, said absolutely abhorrent things in the past. And these people are the cheer squad for the concentration camps on Manus and Nauru, yeah. which are 
qualitatively and quantitatively far worse than what uh, John Setka has been convicted yeah. of. And what, but what is quite clear is the only reason that they're, they're banging on about this is because they they have they're not fans that they hate trade unions they want to use every means by which to attack a trade union but I also or I think to me it reveals is just the hypocrisy mm. of these establishment institutions and actually that's another um, that's another argument that's been thrown around by people defending John Setka is oh he's a militant union leader and the right wing just want to get rid of him and install some sort of compliant um, pro ALP stooge. Now, is the culture of the CFMEU that weak that there is no alternative leader in the in the waiting to be able to take over the mantle of John Setka and still be able to you know pull people off the job if it's required for safety or to win better paying conditions? My experience as a rank and file CFMEU member is that there is not a shortage of people who understand what a strike is, the importance of it, the necessity within our industry of taking regular industrial action and being constantly vigilant about safety. So this idea that if John Setka goes, then he's just going to be replaced by some useless stooge. Well, who? What does that say about the, about the composition of our union if the only radical person in the union is John Setka and everyone else is just... You know, everyone else in that kind of leadership circle of the union is just a useless ALP hack. Isn't that a problem in itself, that the leadership has apparently become so populated? But if it's not populated by ALP hacks, then doesn't that disprove the whole argument that's being made? So it's you're either admitting that there's something fundamentally wrong with the union and that it's kind of... The castle is built on sand. There's no kind of bedrock of militancy in the rank and file and in the kind of office bearers of the union. Or you're making a false argument. And I think it's the latter. Hmm. There's a reasonable, you know, I'm sure people can go, oh, you know, back in the BLF days it was better. But I don't think there's a shortage of people in the CFMEU who are prepared to have a blue with the boss, who understand the importance of industrial action. So I don't think John Setker is indispensable. Our, our union strength is built on collective strength, not this one individual who's got magical powers. Hmm. All right. Um, how about um, we might play a quick few announcements and then move on um, to some news from the international sphere. Three CR. Always bringing you the latest union news. They're coming after us at the moment. They want to get rid of penalty rates, the big push from businesses. They want to get rid of all the things that you and I have fought for. So there's tens of thousands of jobs gone, contracted out to sham contracting arrangements. On 8.55am and on the web, 3cr.org.au.
Attention book lovers, the new International Bookshop is hosting our annual Big Red Book Fair. Come down to the Trades Hall in Carlton on Saturday the 29th of June from 10am to 5pm. As always, the book fair features thousands of books across all genres, all radically priced. There's also a barbecue and a showcase of radical posters. In order to make this fundraiser a success, we are calling for book donations now. So if you have books that need a new home, please get in contact via the website at nibs.org.au or on 9662 3744. That's 9662-3744. The New International Bookshop, a 3CR supporter. You're listening to 3CR Radio. Hi, right, you're listening to Someone Green... I was pleased that you were talking about this, but he wrote... waxa jaaliyada Soomaalida ee Melbourne Victoria ama Australia oo dhan la wargelinaya in idaacadi 3CA ee afka Soomaaliga oo aad toos uga dhageysan jirteen habeen kasta oo Jumca ah 10 ka ilaa iyo 11 ka hadda aad toos uga dhageysan kartaan 8 iyo 10 ka ilaa iyo 9 ka iyo 10 ka habeen kasta oo talaada ah waxa idin soo gudbinaynaa sidii caadada noo ahayd wararka jaaliyada iyo kuwa dalka Australia iyo waliba wareysiyadii khubarada marka loo baahdo waxaad kaloo naga dhageysan kartaa bogga internetka 3cr.org.au/somali ilaa iyo spot waqti dheer ayaan sugaynay waqtigan ka soo horeeyay waqtigii hore ee u dhawaa saqda dhexe marka waxaan rajaynaynaa inay jaaliyadu arinta ka faa'iideysanayso mahadsanidiin iyo dhageysi wacan All right. Uh, sorry about that. Um, we're just, uh, Annie has just brought in a, a comment from a listener, Toby. Hello, uh, uh, Toby. Uh, do you think John Setka is the only person obstructing uh, the LNP trying to get their greedy hands on our super? And if not Setka, then who's going to do it? Uh, I, I think I was, I was writing about... Uh, I, I, I was making a Facebook comment about this. I, I, I think if we, someone was saying, oh, John Setka, blah, 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 and they're talking about the Vic ALP conference and how it was shut down early by the CFMEU delegation. Um, I don't think that getting rid of John Setka would magically uh, get rid of the sort of opportunist position that the CFMEU has taken a couple of times in the last 18 months on refugees. Um because I think it's more of an issue of the leadership of the union and how it engages with the Labor Party and its contradictory efforts to try and change policy in the Labor Party, which means horse trading and the industrial left to try and get a better deal on uh, like industrial manslaughter and getting rid of the ABCC. They throw refugees under a bus. They do a deal with the right. They, they give the right something they want, like complicity in, um, you know, shutting ALP conference early or whatever, and in return, um, some of the right-wing unions vote with them. Similarly, on superannuation, I genuinely believe that in the whole leadership of the CFMEU, uh, people are quite aware 
that the LNP are trying to get their hands on super and whoever it is that's leading the CFMEU will be quite vocal about defending super. So, yes, I think um, John Setka has been strong on that and on a range of other issues, uh, but I think uh, to a large extent that springs from the kind of uh, class consciousness of the union as a whole, and if someone else was to take over uh, from Setka, then... Uh, and it should be mentioned that um, Sean Reardon, the Assistant Secretary, uh, resigned in the last week and a bit. Um, he's potentially... We've got union elections next year. Maybe um, Sean Reardon will run um, against John Setka for the leadership. I don't know. Uh, but, yeah, I, I don't think that replacing John Setka would mean that the CFMEU would weaken its stance on um, uh, protecting super funds from from the the libs but that's yeah that's that's my sort of personal perspective maybe i'm wrong but i i think that that's you know it's it's something that the, the broad leadership of the union are quite conscious of all right um so this is just uh um you're listening to green left weekly radio it's um 725 a.m um and this is just i uh, wanted to talk a bit actually a bit about um south korean politics um because there's this really good article in um that was printed in labor notes um which is quite a um it's a it's basically like a a US sort of based um, website that covers sort of labour struggles, um, you know, both locally and international, and also provides a bit of a guide for for trade unionism, and it gives like has like tips and stuff um, for expiring trade unionists, and to give and lots of resources. Um, anyway, this is about um, um, this is about the arrest of Kim Monyon Hwan, who is. Um, uh, Mion Hawan, um, who is the chairman of the Korean Confederation of Trade Unions. Um, and this happened on June 21st. Um, but just to give a bit of an update, as of June 27th, he has actually been released. But I still want to go a bit in the background of, of this whole story. So he was um, arrested um, after SEAL Court um, issued an arrest warrant, um, which cited him as a flight risk. Um, over the, over the, and a bit of context here. For history, over the past three months, he and um, KCTU officials um, have clashed with riot police at the National Assembly over, contra- over a controversial bill that union leaders say would dangerously extend working hours. Um, and the government cl- chose to detain him, even though Kim was fully co- um, cooperating with its investigation. And to give a bit of a background um, on, you know, why this particular bill um, is in um, has been opposed by the Korean Trade Union Confederation, is um, the average um, South Korean worker works around over 2,014 um, hours a year compared to 1,356 hours in Germany, um, and. Um, in 2015, a tripartite commission made up of representatives of business, labour and the conservative government of the then President Park jin hye agreed to phase in new regulations to reduce annual work hours to 18,000 by 2020. Labour was represented solely by the Federation of Korean Trade Unions and the KCTU's larger and more conservative rival, the, the KC2U, did not take, I mean, they seem to have the same acronyms, or there's a misspell in here, um, did not take place in the commission in protest of a series of anti, oh wait, 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 
Oh, yeah, I understand what I'm reading the article through. Okay, so the CKCTU did not um, take um, part in the, um, in the commission in the protests of a series of anti-Labour measures and at the jail of then um, KCTU chairman Hanson Jun and other union leaders. And, of course, you know, so there's a few kind of issues in play in terms of negotiations, and the tripartite agreement included a provision of working hour flexibility, allowing employers to expand working hours to 64 hours a week for up to three months or to a year for certain seasonal or on-contract jobs without overtime pay. However, the exemption was meant to take effect only after substantial reduction in working hours. And so, yeah, so they... they ba- so basically, the, the con, the, there's um, this sort of context of arresting this um, um, Labor secretary in South Korea has come to sort of the context of around negotiation around this um, question of extending of work hours. Um, but <clears throat> one of the um, um, one one of the things is had, what this led to is it led to ma- massive protests from um, from um, by organised by the KCTU, um, and you know. One of the one of the one of the kind of other political contexts is um, the rise of the current government, um, you know, in in um, South Korea, which replaced a recently um, a conservative government, is is deeply in, indebted to KCTU unionists and ordinary citizens who took to the streets in the winter of 2017 to unseat the corrupt authoritarian Park Jun Hai from the presidency in what is now dubbed the Candlelight Revolution, and of course more Moon a former a human rights lawyer and, and student activist became president in May 2017 with a strong mandate of labour and democratic reforms. He encapsulated his labour pledge in a slogan towards a labour-respecting society, um, but then his vision um, for a labour-respecting um, society is um, fuzzy. Many of his promises remain unfulfilled or have ended in half measures. And in, two, in July 2017, um, the government raised the legal minimum wage by 16.4%, um, despite opposition. However, it quickly redefined seasonal bonuses and certain cash benefits as part of salaries to blunt the effects of the raise. Um, and you know, um, you know, the, the the other the other kind of thing is you know, the um, is the Korean Teachers and Education Workers Union, the 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 country's sole national labor union for teachers, remains outlawed as it has been since 2013, when the Park government banned the union on a technicality. Um, and the Moon government has yet to withdraw a number of um, of lawsuits seeking damages from unionists for property um, losses and police injuries allegedly caused by their strike actions. And of course, these su- suits were filled. Um, you know, under the Conservative government, which used the threat of a hefty damages to frustrate Labor militancy. And, of course, the arrest of, you know, the formerly arrest of Kim um, cast further doubts on the Moon's government's commitments to a Labor-respecting um, society. Um, so, yeah, um, yeah, that's just a bit of a, a summary of, of the political situation in South Korea around, um, around the Labor struggles. And I think it is kind of interesting because... Um, a bit of an interesting comparison. It's a bit sim- um, the state, the South Korean politics is a bit similar to sort of other sort of developed sort of Asian um, 
Asian democracies. Like, for example, in Malaysia, um, Malaysia had the experience of there were mass protests um, to bring down a conservative government that had been in power um, for several years and it has been since replaced by, you know, what would be considered a liberal democratic government. Um, but then this liberal democratic government is actually, you know, Comrades in the in the Socialist Party of Malaysia and activists are basically saying that this um, new Liberal Democratic government is basically no different um, from the Conservative government in terms of implementing neoliberal kind of capitalist reforms. Mm. And um, I think it, it, it kind of shows that you, you know you need more than just um, having a you need more than just having a program of liberal democracy to be able to in, implement progressive change. So you need to actually have a fighting left government that mm. is actually committed to opposing neoliberalism. Otherwise, the capitalist class is just going to lobby you into just um, force you uh, your hand into implementing it as all these neoliberal um, reforms. Mm. But yeah, it's like interesting that uh, part of the whole dynamic by which this union official was arrested is because they're mobilising uh, around this. So um, yeah, I guess that's when the uh, when the social democrats get in and they don't deliver, you got to get out on the streets again. Mm. And it looks like that's sort of starting to happen in South Korea. So there's at least that, which is good. Mm. Uh, I just wanted to give a plug to the Chernobyl mini-series. Uh, there's been a bit of a buzz around it. I think it's a well-deserved buzz. Uh, the mini-series by HBO, and you can watch it on uh, Foxtel now. You can get a free two-week subscription to Foxtel if you don't want to give your money to um, <laughs> old mate Rupert Murdoch. Uh, I would recommend the free trial subscription. Two weeks is plenty of time to watch the five one-hour episodes, given that you're probably going to watch them within about uh, two days, if you're anything like me. Uh, it's really well done. It's disturbing. It's horrifying. And it's part of our uh, history. I was, I think, two and a half years old when Chernobyl blew up. Um, my partner's from Germany. Um, her and her brother's uh, toys were out in the backyard and they all had to be uh, taken away and dumped because uh, of the fallout from the exploded reactor uh, raining down across large parts of Europe. Uh, the The film is really good in two aspects. It explores the... Um, it kind of takes apart what actually went wrong in this particular type of uh, reactor. I, I always thought that the Chernobyl reactor must have been this ancient reactor that blew up. It was anything but. It was three years old. It was commissioned in 1983 and it blew up in 1986. Um, the person in charge of the nuclear power plant at the time was grossly negligent and was um, running the power plant in the most cavalier fashion and um, lording over the officers below him uh, in the most disgraceful um, manner. So the, the, the miniseries is really good at looking at the science of what went wrong in that nuclear reactor and uh, how the, the operators managed to blow the thing up. Um, but it also looks at fundamental flaws with that type of design called an RBMK reactor. Um, and, and then it also looks at the role of the the Stalinist bureaucracy in, A, 
allowing this to happen. There was dissenting reports from scientists within the Soviet Union saying this is not a good design and there are serious problems with it and they need to be fixed and people running these plants need to know about these risks. That report was suppressed because it was embarrassing to the Soviet Union to acknowledge that their whiz-bang new nuclear reactor was maybe not as good as they like to uh, think it was. And uh, they didn't want to, you know, they want to project this image, oh, Soviet technology is the best in the world. They didn't want to admit that, you know, their their new reactor had some really serious flaws. Uh, and then, so that's one issue. And then when the actual disaster happened, the unwillingness of various officials uh, within Chernobyl itself within uh, at a sort of provincial level in Ukraine and then even within the central um, committee of the, of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union, the unwillingness of officials to accept how serious a disaster had occurred and to evacuate people and to take safety measures, the reticence of them to act, uh, and then even after the uh, disaster, the unwillingness of officials to implement uh, changes to the nuclear reactors, to the remaining RBMK reactors, to make them safer. Uh, it's just mind-boggling. Um, yeah, so it's a really interesting series, both in terms of how it looks at the that hierarchy, that power structure that existed in the Soviet Union, and then also quite a forensic analysis of this... Uh, horrible, horrible accident and the, the, the terrible way in which lots of people uh, died from, from that radiation poisoning. So yeah, can't highly enough recommend that. Oh, yeah, thanks for saying. I don't have anything to really comment on it because I haven't seen it. <laughs> you must see it. Yeah. I've tried not to give away too much with my little wrap-up just then, but it is, it is absolutely compelling viewing. Hmm. All right. Um, now, I guess another story um, to talk about, just a quick kind of news story on um, some recent results in um, Turkey, um, which is I think Turkey had it, some local sort of council sort of elections, which um, um, recently um, on June the 23rd, and basically the Republican People's Candidate Eklem Amalgulu, oh, I pronounce his that name, um, won the election for mayor of um, Istanbul um, in, on June 21st. Um, and basically, this is significant because it, um, it was a defeat of the ruling Justice and Development Party, AKP. Um, and the election was a rerun, you know, of a of an election held in March. And, of course, um, the AKP, um, you know, Appealed, um, appealed that result. Um, so basically, this is actually the second time that the Republican People's um, Party candidate had won um, this election, but the um, AKP, which is the party of Erdogan, is um, so corrupt that they can't even accept the Democratic result. So they actually appealed um, the result, claiming fraud, but then this time... Um, you know, Amelio has won by much bigger margin of fifty-four percent to forty-five percent. Ah. Um, so that's that's a useful lesson <laughs> for the, for Erdogan. Yeah. So a kind of interesting kind of um, background is the CHP has 
probably described as a social in Turkish politics is probably described as a social democratic party, so probably equivalent to the Labour Party and the AKP are probably equivalent to the Liberals. And um, um, one probably one of its limitations is it is a Turkish nationalist party, with you know generally has a history of hostility towards um, the Kurds, um, the Kurdish struggle. Um, but you know, nonetheless, he was um, this this result is a welcoming for um, for the People's Democratic Party (HDP), a left wing and pro Kurdish party, and then the HDP um, had argued that the defeat of the AKP. Um, AKP in um, Istanbul would be a blow to um, President um, Erdogan's government, and you know the you know the AKP to MHP government has arrested tens of thousands of people for political reasons, including HDP members of parliament. It has sacked tens of thousands of workers from their job. It has also waged war against uh, you know the Turkish Kurdish people of eastern Turkey, and you know. Um, even bombing Kurdish cities. Um, the HDP did not run candidates in the in instable elections, instead urging its supporters to vote from Nagul. And a joint statement by HDP co-chairs Proven, Bolden and Sardar Tamilir described this as a tactical step. They said the HDP continues to follow a third way, separate from both the CHP and the AKP. So, yeah, that's a bit a bit on, um, you know, Turkish um, politics there. Yeah, and we've got a... Um Guest uh, visiting in Melbourne at the moment, Manuel Monin from uh, from Belgium, who's involved with the Belgian Workers' Party, and he's staying at my place at the moment. And Manuel was telling me that the Communist Party in Istanbul uh, backs the um, Social Democratic candidate, the CHP candidate, and also that the HDP, the sort of progressive left wing party that's got a, a largely kind of Kurdish base, although it's not exclusively a Kurdish party. Uh, the HDP also didn't run uh, in Istanbul because they didn't want to split the progressive vote. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I guess, somewhat of broad left unity against... It's, it's kind of like a united front against the fascists, I guess. Um, yeah, communists and HDP backs the social democratic candidate just to make sure that the uh, yeah scummy Erdogan candidate did not win in Istanbul. So, yeah, good to see. Yeah, well, actually, one um, speaking of the left, I just want to quickly mention this. Um, but there has been some interesting developments in um, Argentina with. Um, a, lot, a number of the um, Argentine radical left groups um, coming together um, uh, of unity, and they have since released um, a, th- uh, uh, a, a sort of 12, 30-point program on, wh- on which to unite around. Um, so which should, do, which should be interesting um, to see what kind of direction. Because um, in the context of politics in Argentina, um, Argentina, from my understanding, is... Um, Politically, the left is um, fairly dominated by um, by sort of the Trotskyist left, and and they have held in the past, um, you know, positions in in power. Um, so it's going to be it's interesting. Um, so basically, the four socialist organisations Argentinas have created this new alliance, and it's forming the Workers Left Front in Argentina, um, with a demand with the main demand of workers' government and international socialism. So yeah, I think it is quite a promise development and we'll have to see how it goes. So we'll go be shortly having an interview with um, um, Simon Someone. 
And um, yeah, we'll just um, we'll play a quick announce it quickly and then segue into the interview. You are listening to Green Left Radio on the Friday morning breakfast show, broadcast live on 3CR Radio 855 AM digital and streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Green Left Radio is brought to you by the Green Left Weekly newspaper, providing a weekly source of alternative information which aims to inspire action to put people and the environment before profit. Subscribe to Green Left Weekly by visiting the website at greenleft.org.au or call 1-800-634-206. For new subscribers, it's only $10 for the first seven issues. Attention book lovers, the new International Bookshop is hosting our annual Big Red Book Fair. Come down to the Trades Hall in Carlton on Saturday the 29th of June from 10am to 5pm. As always, the book fair features thousands of books across all genres, all radically priced. There's also a barbecue and a showcase of radical posters. In order to make this fundraiser a success, we are calling for book donations now. So if you have books that need a new home, please get in contact via the website at nibs.org.au or on 9662 3744. That's 9662 3744. The new international bookshop, a 3CR supporter. Right, you're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio. Um, it is Jacob on the line with Zane. Um, on the line we have um, a special guest, um, Simon Sampson, although, um, who is a member of the Eritrean community. Um, he is also um, a Catholic priest. Um, so good morning, Simon. Good morning. Um, so, Simon, um, I guess what can you... Um, yeah, from my understanding... Um, in in Eritrea, Eritrea has been you know being ruled by um, a authoritarian government um, for quite a long time, and there has been a number of kind of recent kind of developments that have happened in Eritrea around around the movement against him. Um, can you tell us a bit more about you know for our listeners about the political situation in Eritrea? Yeah, uh, the political situation of Eritrea is uh, really uh, really bad. And uh, the uh, situation is uh, really, okay. the, uh, the government in Eritrea is uh, a dictator, and uh, Eritrea is one of the uh, worst countries in the world. And uh, in fact, it's called uh, the uh, North Korea of Africa. Mm-hmm. So the uh, situation is uh, going from uh, uh, bad to the worst. Mm-hmm. Is, uh, there is no uh, freedom of press. There is no uh, the. Uh, the what you call the uh, dignity of him and person is really eroded day by day. Mm. So there's a very uh, bad situation in Eritrea. Yeah, and so has um, what has been some of the recent repression that um, that has happened in Eritrea recently? Yeah, recently, uh, in fact, in uh, 12th of uh, June this month, uh, Eritrean government closed all the uh, uh, Catholic Catholic-run clinics. And uh, they close them, and they uh, uh, they just come to the uh, clinics, and they close them, and they uh, evacuate all the patients who are treated there, who sleep there. They uh, took their infusions, they took their uh, called everything, and they throw them away, and they close the uh, all the clinics, and uh, they went away. Hmm. 
And um, what what was sort of what was sort of the reason that the that this gov- the government did that? Is it was is there a particular reason yeah, for that? Yeah, the reason was not clear, and the only thing that they say are they they don't have the papers to uh, to have the authority to authorize them, and they if you, the, when the, the, the priests or the nuns ask them what is the paper that authorizes you to take over the uh, clinics, they say we uh, we all we have only the uh, word we have only uh, we were told by with the top, with the above authorities, and they are uh, they. Uh, Told us to uh, take off only, and when they ask them the reason, they uh, they say, okay, we don't have the reason, and the reason that, uh, that we only give you is that uh, uh, we want to take the uh, what call to, to take over the clinics to us, and we are going to uh, transfer it the what you call the administration only. Hmm. So they uh, close it until now. Hmm. And um, what has um, what has been kind of like? Um, the resistance um, um, to the dictator, um, to the authoritarian ga- um, government of Eritrea. Yeah, they, and nowadays the resistance are, of Eritrea is really, really uh, growing uh, strong day by day. They, uh, all the uh, what they call all the Eritreans in the diaspora are saying enough is enough, and the uh, voices from outside is very strong. But the only voice that we uh, the resistance voice from Eritrea is only from the Catholic Church. That's why the uh, government wants to uh, block the voice which is coming from Eritrea, which is from the Catholic Church. That's the reason why the uh, uh, the closure comes uh, at this uh, time. Hmm. So it has a, has a lot of sort of um, you know resistance to um, the Eritrean government has been organised um, through the Catholic Church. Is that accurate to say? Yes, because the only resistance that comes from within Eritrea is from the Catholic Church. They wrote letters. They wrote, uh, they call, they ask for justice. They are demanding for the uh, liberation of the people. They are really uh, opposing the, all the uh, unjust injustice that is uh, committed against the people in Eritrea from within. The only resistance and voice coming from Eritrea is only through Catholic Church. That's mm. why the closure comes. Yep, Zane, have a question? Yeah, so I mean, I was just wondering uh, how much the uh, Arab Spring a few years back and then more recently the uprisings in uh, Sudan and Yemen have perhaps emboldened or inspired people in Eritrea to also confront the, the regime. Yes, it, it, that's also one of the reasons why the government is trying to block all the inside voices. Outside voices are growing day by day, but the inside voices only from the Catholic Church. So they want to divert and all. They want to create some another problem to the Catholic Church so that they uh, stop uh, voicing. They, they stop uh, making a, a, a noise of freedom or resistance from within. That's one of the way of diverting the Catholic Church from resisting the government. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And um, what, um, what has been, um, you know, with, with some of the atrocities that are being um, performed by the Eritrean government, what has been kind of like the international response? Yeah, the international response is really great. Uh, all the, uh, from America, from uh, Vatican, from uh, 
all the African countries, from the um, all the uh, media outlets, BBC, CNN, uh, all the media outlets, they condemn all the actions done, the, the recent actions. All the actions, of, especially the recent actions, they condemn it. And um, what in within 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 Australia, what has sort of the our Australian community been kind of doing to sort of um, raise awareness uh, about the kind of human rights abuses that happen in Australia and kind of like in, in Australia, our Australia and um, like the the and publicising kind of the stories of kind of resistance. Yeah, uh, they make uh, because, uh, uh, peaceful demonstrations the other day, and uh, they go to the. Uh, Amnesty International in Australia, and they uh, went to uh, Canberra to uh, the Vatican Embassy, and also they uh, go around to the uh, 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 this uh, Catholic Church, and t- t- they uh, try to uh, make awareness all over. They make an uh, interview with the SBS, and uh, they are trying to uh, make awareness everywhere they uh, are. So the, the awareness is uh, all over now. Hi. Um, do you you have a question, Tane? Oh, yeah. Just wondering, Simon, how can um, how can listeners get involved and sort of um, support the Eritrean community and show their solidarity? Oh, yeah. The uh, the uh, the uh, the solidarity to Eritrean to Eritrean people is really growing in the outside, but for, to, to, from the inside, the government is really trying to block. Any any intervention, any anyone. For example, if anyone, uh, any foreigner wants to come to Eritrea, it's very 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 hard. Like it is, uh, uh, 90, 99.9 percent is not allowed. Only zero 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 point one percent is allowed to get in because the government doesn't want anyone to see anything happening in Eritrea. So the. Uh, the resistance is only from outside, and the resistance from outside is really growing day by day, so the government is frustrated. That's why he is taking this uh, uh, really uh, not uh, very uh, kind of uh, uh, rubbish action uh, this month. Mm. Yeah, it does sound um, like... Uh I can see where this comparison with North Korea uh, comes from. Seems like they have a similar policy towards uh, visitors from uh, overseas. Yes, you're right. So that is uh, the only government that we have. Uh, only uh, one uh, newspaper that's run by government, one radio station which is run by government, one TV station which is run by government, and there is uh, nothing, no university. That we had universities, they, they closed them. And, uh, you know, this, this is kind of, uh, if you, uh, for example, if you want to go out from, uh, from um, to another country, the only country that asks you the uh, exit visa is Eritrea, like North Korea. This is kind of, uh, the, uh, the historians are really comparing. This is the North Korea of Africa. It's kind of uh, simple. Uh, the comparison is really right and uh, the point. Hmm. Is there like a, a? Do you have a Facebook page or something like that? Yeah, we have a Facebook page with the, the like uh, uh, Eritrean Victorian Eritrean community, Melbourne Eritrean community, and also there are uh, a lot of uh, 
pages which is called like enough is enough like, because people are uh, at this in this diaspora people are saying enough is enough they, they call enough uh, they their slogan and they are making the, the resistance are really growing so these are the things that we uh, try to uh, use in the uh, social media yeah nice um, yeah, well, we'll have to um, share that from the uh, Green Left Facebook page as well and just so people can stay uh, informed about any activities that we've got coming up. Hmm. Yeah, so, um, Simon, do you, um, we'll, go, we'll go finish up the interview now, um, but do you have any, like, final comments you'd like to make? Oh, yeah, first I would like to thank you for the uh, interview and for, for making the uh, people of Austria aware of the... Uh, 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 the what you call of the um, uh, harsh uh, living, uh, harsh way of living in Eritrea, and the dictatorship of Eritrea is uh, exposed, so that uh, we can uh, get uh, help, and the people can get help, and the government can be thrown away, and uh, the liberation and the democracy will uh, uh, be uh, coming to Eritrea sooner, but not later. Thank you. All right. Thanks heaps, Simon. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely stay in touch and keep an eye on, uh, yeah, the protest movement in, in Eritrea. Thank you very much. Thank you. We appreciate it. Cheers. Yeah, uh, Simon Sampson there, a member of the Eritrean community, who's, um, yeah, just letting us know what's what's going on back in Eritrea. And, uh, yeah, mm. keep an eye out on the uh, for those Facebook pages. We'll share that from the Green Left page so you can... Stay up to speed about any uh, kind of protests that are happening here. Hmm. Alrighty. Okay, might play play a few quick announcements and then we'll move on to playing going through the activist calendar. I just think that it's ironic that the state of Victoria want to treaty with Aboriginal people but have no issue in destroying our sacred site. War is devastating on the environment. In peacetime, the military is a huge user of fossil fuels, a huge driver of nuclear energy and ultimately the architect of nuclear weapons. Subscribe to 3CR in 2019, fighting for social justice and environmental change. And to all the people that are so afraid of the solutions to climate change that they choose to live in denial instead, the current solutions to the climate emergency are much easier to cope with than the outcomes that will come if we don't. Feed Radical Radio. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. Follow, follow the sun. Which way the wind blows. This is our country. We've never forgotten where we've come from. For who we are. We keep our culture strong. Now it's time to come together. Talk as equals. And write our own future. This is our country. And this is our time. Treaty is time. Enroll now for the First People's Assembly of Victoria election. Authorised by the Victorian Treaty Advancement Commission, Melbourne. VCR are selling kefir Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. 
These are traditional scarves available in red and black or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. Difficult by the cable ties. Sick Melbourne punk action. Alright. Alright, it's um, 8.02am um, and that is means it's time for the activist, activist calendar. calendar. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, right now actually there's an action happening in Doncaster. If you happen to be living in Doncaster, there's a Doncaster Rail mock opening. It's been, it's been on since 7.30am and so that's at uh, the Doncaster Park and Ride on Doncaster Road. Um, and it's basically, you know... Uh, a kind of action point of the tension that the Doncaster Rail has never been built. Um, it's the only area in Melbourne that has never had a, 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 a train line, and, and instead people in Doncaster have to be content with these really crappy buses. Um, yeah, I, I actually work in Doncaster and the Doncaster Templestowe area a lot because in Coburg it's very easy to get to Doncaster, and those buses to get back to the city are just terrible. Mm. <laughs> and the fact that they think that it's not, it's good, that's good enough and, and they're not, the government has never committed to building a Doncaster rail that would connect, you know, Bullen, um, Kew, um, 
Templestowe all the way going to, to Doncaster is just ridiculous. What about this ring rail that they're talking about building somewhere off in the Never Never? Is that going to go through Doncaster? Yeah, it will, but it will go through Doncaster as in in a circle. It doesn't mean that it's going to go. there's going to be a Doncaster line that goes from the city. Mm. So, yeah, what, 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 what the problem is is there's no Doncaster line... Um, yeah, I don't know. Berlin and Paris and London are like that. They'll have a big ring, and then you kind of you hop on the the in in Berlin it's called the Ringbahn. Yeah. You go across, and then you change station, then you go into the city. So that might not work, but uh, yeah. or, or it might not be necessary to have a direct connection from Doncaster to the city if there's a good frequent Ringbahn. Yeah. But um, I mean that's true to the sense, but it it still means that um, when build. that happens, Doncaster will still be. It would still be the only one with an well, a train like that direct link to the city. So, yeah, yeah. Um, who knows what will happen there? Mm. Um, from oh, Saturday, good on the uh, good on the local campaigners uh, <laughs> fighting for a rail connection in Doncaster. Yes. Shout out to if any of you are listening. For Saturday um, to June thirtieth, there's going to be a Stoppadani assembly. Um, I don't know where that is. I think that's in North Melbourne. If you search Stoppadani assembly in Google, you should be able to get it in Melbourne. Um, on Saturday, there will also be the Big Red Book Fair from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Um, in the Shrades Hall, hosted by the New International Bookshop, which I'm a bit disappointed I'm going to be missing because um, I'm going to be in Sydney this weekend. Um, and then there's going to be a forum, the Hard Right in Australia. Dominic Kelly talks to Guy Rundle at 1 p.m. at the Shrades Hall Meeting Room 1, and it's hosted by the New International Bookshop. Um, on Friday, July the 5th, there'll be the Victorian NAIDOC March, um, 9am pre-March festival, 10.30am Victorian Aboriginal Health Service. And on Saturday, July 26th, there's um, Start the Riot, um, FreeCR Radiofon Punk Fundraiser at 8pm at um, Bar 303, 303 High Street in Northcote. Um, Wednesday, July 10th to Sunday, July the 21st, there's Theatre, the Bucky, um, a heart-forming breaking true for exploration of the Baki myths, and ritual and rebellion that puts women's rights at the forefront. That's at the La Mama um, courthouse. Um, on Wednesday, July the t- um, 10th, um, there's a conference, Fair Go for Pensioners, um, from 9am to 4pm at the Greek Orthodox Church, 23 to 29 Victoria Street in Coburg. Um, there'll be a public meeting, or really naughty, uh, a Mazai response designism, or Oli. Lee Noy is a prominent Israeli journalist and actress, Theatre State Library at the 179 Latrobe Street. Um, and then Wednesday, July the... Wait, wait, no. Um, on Tuesday, July the 16th, there'll be a public forum, Animal Liberation and Capitalism, um, or Capitalism and Animal Liberation. That's going to be at the Resistance Centre, level 547 Swanson Street, 6.30, Tuesday, July the 16th. Um... And, yeah, we'll feature in a range of different speakers. Um, and on Saturday, July the 20th, um, there'll be a rally, Six Years Too Long, Close Manus and Nauru, bring them here, 2pm at the State Library. Um, and then um, there'll be a forum on June... Oh, no, no, wrong one, wrong one. Um, on, and then on Sunday, July the 21st, there'll be the Victorian Socialist Conference. Um, and then on Friday, July the 26th, there'll be the Green Left Weekly's annual comedy debate, Don't Panic, There Is a Planet B, um, at the Brunswick Town Hall, uh, with doors opening from 6.30 um, at Sydney Road. And for more info, um, phone 96398622. Wee. Uh, now, just before the uh, we did the activist calendar, you were just talking about this uh, 
couple of articles in the coming green left. Uh, I did a review of this new report by the Breakthrough Institute, uh, kind of calling for emergency action on climate change, and it's uh, outlining the horrendous cluster um, bomb that we are awaiting in the future if we don't act on climate right now, this decade. And it's talking about uh, under the Paris Agreement, uh, if we continue on now, it's basically business as usual, uh, under the Paris Agreement globally, we're going to get to 1.6 degrees by the year 2031. That puts us on track for 3 degrees by 2050, and here's what 3 degrees in 2050 looks like, and it ain't pretty. Uh, we're talking killer heat waves in large parts of the world, um, upwards of a billion people who need to leave their country and go somewhere else because their country is becoming unlivable, crop failure, deglaciation of the Himalaya, etc., etc., uh, one of the conclusions of this report is that the um, the national security sector should be um, engaged by governments as part of this kind of war mobilisation or this Marshall Plan kind of um, complete rebuilding of the global economy to decarbonise it. Um, now... That's got a few people's um, uh, hackles up. A lot of people, they're uncomfortable with the idea of a climate emergency per se because to, they view it as having authoritarian implications. And then to have a report come out like this that says we need a climate emergency and we need the military to get involved, uh, that, <laughs> that only... Um, makes this certain um, subset of the climate movement even more concerned. Um, what I was writing is, I think that this report is... Um, I think it's not just a practical thing. The, the report is not just looking at the logistics of a complete reconfiguration of the economy and saying the military should be involved in that, even though that is the, the main sort of thrust of what's being said. I think they're also saying that... Um, I think part of it is a political thing and it's trying to shake out uh, progressive sort of forces within the military. I guess you're, you're sort of your Andrew Wilkie's, uh, forgotten his name, but the person who leaks the Afghan papers. Um, basically, people in the military who, uh, right or wrong, view, their, view themselves as uh, serving their country or playing some sort of broadly necessary social role by being part of the military and who look at climate change and go, gee, that's not going to be good for um, military people or anyone else. That's going to be a horrible future for us. Hmm. So, yeah. I mean, And then there's a response in, in the coming green left from Pip Hinman saying, ooh, hang on, hmm. what are we talking about engaging the military for? And I think Pip raises a bunch of, um, you know, quite quite fair points yeah i guess one of the one of the things is um just i'll be very quick at this because we should probably get the um the next interview sort of booked in yeah. um i think saying we'll get that organized um, i guess one point i kind of make is um is in terms of the question the military is um sometimes the left i mean i'm completely critical i uh, don't get me wrong i'm completely critical of the military as an institution and i do think it is an armed guard 
of of the state. Um, but there has been moments in history where the military has you know, can be utilised to play a progressive role. Um, for example, in the Venezuela Revolution, um, the military were kind of central um, um, in terms of, and to that, especially since Hugo Chavez was of the military. Um, and during the the 1940s, um, during World War Two, there was actually a bit of a debate between socialist organisations about whether whether you, um, whether people, if you were drafted in the military, whether you should use use that as an opportunity to build the case for socialism and left wing ideas within the military, which actually got, um, you know, there were some sections of the left that were very critical of even putting that forward as as an idea. Um, but yeah, that, that's that. There's a yeah, it's important I think not to have to be too schematic about in terms of how we engage with some stuff. But, yeah, sort of mentioned that. Okay, so we'll get, a, get move on to our second and final interview for the program um, shortly. Yes, I'll just play a quick announcement, and then we're going to talk to Catherine Cunningham, who is the Secretary of Earthworker Energy Manufacturing Co-op. So, yeah, stick around. You're on Green Left Radio on 3CR. Help 3CR support the rights of Indigenous Australians. They mean to save our culture and save our dreams, our footprints, dreams, our songline, and keep our culture going strong. Of course, a lot of the Aboriginals, having been stolen, were put into state care, and also others The recognition were. of what our people have been through in the last 200 years, the recognition of our culture in the last 40,000 years, and the recognition of where we are heading into the future. Welcome to uh, Survival Day, Invasion Day. 223 years ago, the white man landed on our shores. Subscribe to 3CR and help keep Indigenous voices on air. Call us on 94198377 or visit 3cr.org.au. Subscribe now. Alrighty, yes, you are on 3CR. It's Friday Brekkie, this is Grand Left Radio. And on the phone line, we have got Catherine Cunningham, the Secretary of Earthworker Energy Co-op. Welcome, Catherine. Thank you very much, Zane. Uh, okay, so just before we get into the nuts and bolts of the factory, what did you think of the election result? And in particular, uh, some people saying the Stopadani convoy didn't have enough focus on a transition. They went into Claremont. It was uh, problematic. Yeah, what, what's your what's your thoughts on the election and yeah, the, the issue of a transition? Um, I guess essentially for me, nothing changed. Yeah, we're still where we are. We still have, we still, we still have what we've been up against. So, in lots of ways, maybe doing more of the same isn't going to work. Maybe we need to change tactics. I think building the new world rather than railing against the old one is the way forward. I think just transition needs to become the focus. We can't just say no. We have to build the new, and the new options have to be on the table, and they have to, we have to give them just as much power as we give up against. Like if if we put as much if we put as much energy into into building the new options and, and building the renewables as we did to stop the old stuff, then maybe we'd we'd be halfway further along. Like maybe we'd be further along. Hmm. I mean the quick call has definitely got a place, yeah? And we really need to have that voice and there has to be some kind of opposition to this. Otherwise, I mean business as usual will just continue. Yeah, if we don't say it out loud that this is Insane activity. Hmm. 
But I guess they know it's insane. <laughs> yeah, but they, they're still going to do it anyway. If mm. they can. If we don't give them a... It's not a viable option. Mm. If we don't keep building the viable options and then the, the alternatives make the other choice, then yeah, yeah, I think there needs to be more. I, and to be to be fair, I, 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 I stopped paying attention <laughs> as soon as I realised <laughs> hell, that's just going to continue there. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing because I don't have the energy to spread it too thin. Yeah, and it's only so much you can do with your attention and I'd rather feed it straight into the stuff that I know is making a difference. For sure. So... On that topic, what is the latest with uh, Earthworker Energy Manufacturing Co-op? Earthworker Energy Manufacturing Cooperative is a... It's still that that delicious seeding, uh, sprouting, growing time, and tanks are coming out the door. It's it's an exciting time to be part of it, and it's it's definitely waiting for... Well, it's not waiting. It's it's a gestation. I have participated in many many journeys of childbirth and and this really still feels like we're we're crowning. <laughs> like we've, got, <laughs> we've been just standing for such a long time. And crowning is a hard bit, yeah. It's the bit where you want to cross your legs and go home. And this is a hard bit. Um but we are so close. We are in it. We're doing it. We've got tanks out the door. But there's this we that first sort of order of fifty would be pretty awesome. Come on, procurement, that place where we, we cross that line and, and and have that moment of going, we've all invested so much time and energy and love and, and, and intention in this work. It'd be really great to feel it reciprocated by the communities around us and about the gov- by the government kind of backing us. We've had a few grants, which we're really grateful for, and they've been amazing. But there could be, for all the things that are being invested in in, in the Valley, it would be great to see a little bit more investment <laughs> from mm. the community and from the, the people with the money around the community. It would be great to see because there's some really powerful work going on and it's an amazing opportunity there. And mm. I know that once we've got the tanks down and the tanks are really solid and flowing out the door, the work with the batteries, the work with creating a different option for um, the trailer, which is another option on the, on the diesel, uh, diesel generators, so building a solar panelled um, battery trailer that yeah is a fantastic alternative to the diesel generator, considering how much how much pollution and and you know it's just not good for it. Mm. But those are seeing those are things sitting in the in the wings. They're waiting. Um, once the tanks are nice and solid and the flow out the door is nice and strong, then we can start diversifying and bringing in in these other things that are waiting to come in through. And I mean, and then the, the the energy manufacturing. We're participating in in all sorts of different parts of of what's going on in the in the renewable industry because it's it's a big 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 vast industry, and uh, it's quite exciting to be part of it. Hmm. And uh, you used the um, the the crowning metaphor, which is uh, quite a powerful <laughs> metaphor. I think that's uh, <laughs> need to see more of that actually. Um, yeah. Yeah. Childbirth. Um, <clears throat> metaphors in in relation to activist happenings um yeah we've been gestating for a long time <laughs> we've brewing something really powerful and it's just about to birth it's just birthing for real for what it's got yeah, in yeah. sorry i interrupted Where so, we go? well so once the uh the birth has has happened and yeah. the child is running around and bumping into things and <laughs> um, vomiting and doing funny things yeah all the things it does <laughs> um if 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 we start getting orders for like 500 or 1,000 tanks a month, 
yeah. what's that going to look like in terms of jobs at the factory and uh it starts looking like you know i mean 50 well we 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 i mean we've got we've got three beautiful human beings right now on the floor there's two of us in, in support as well and and all doing all the rest of the business um so that's five of us on the ground right now we could pretty easily swell up into the 15 to 20 um to to be delivering even to even to be delivering the 100 tanks a week we'd be need to be up into the 15-20. And I guess that's part of the gestation process is getting all our systems nice and clean, making sure we've got enough equipment for everybody, building mm. all of those parts. And that's, again, where the investment's needed, yeah, sort of backing things up. We've had enough to get to where we are and we've, 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 we've just inched and inched along to where we are. But to, to truly scale up into that 100 a week, into the 200 a week, um, we'd need to be we'd need to be deeply investing. But I mean, that's what happens when you get a procurement order, though. I mean, you can definitely go ahead and secure more funding and make more investment. And that's you know that's the nature of any growth of any business. Mm. But I, th- I mean, to me, the size of the floor, we probably I think we probably end up with a good probably a good fifteen per shift. If we needed to, we probably could go two shifts. Um, and then up to, and then from there, um, yeah, there's other factories around that we can stretch out into, and there's a lot of empty space in Morwell. Yeah, nice. and building it full of you know cooperative worker owners, people who own their own work, yeah, who get to 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 decide what happens to the surplus. There's no extraction there, no their labour isn't being extracted. They're actually owning. At the end of the day, what they've put in is what they get to take home again. Mm. And that's a really different thing, and I think actually. For the Valley, that's actually one of the biggest hurdles I think I'm feeling here is just getting the idea of a cooperative and a worker-owned cooperative out into our consciousness. We, we, it seems Australians tend to struggle with this whole idea. Maybe it's, it's hard to see, though, because like Australia had a really huge cooperative nature. We had a really, really strong one. Got of 60, 70 years ago, there was a really strong, strong presence of cooperatives in our culture. But now the idea of not having a boss, of owning your own business, seems to just be the sole trader or the partnership kind of space. It doesn't seem to be we could own this together. Like we could build this together, we could own this together, we could govern ourselves together. And maybe maybe that's a part of – I mean, I'm, I'm definitely part of the team within Earthworker to participate, building more education and building more education that delivers into community and through hopefully through things like – neighbourhood houses and faith groups and lions and all sorts of different groups to hopefully build something that can really illustrate the worth of build, participating in a, in a worker-owned cooperative. Like when we look at, you've got eight hours of your day, you need to spend it doing something that's going to pay your rent. You can either do that for a company who's going to extract every penny of worth out of you, or you can do that for a cooperative where, the, where all of the power you put in, all of the energy you put in, you get to participate in the ownership of that and how that's governed mm. and, and what you value inside that organisation. And I think to me that's the, the real beauty of a cooperative is inside a worker-owned cooperative, your values matter. You're not ignored by company values. Mm. Yeah? Or, or, you, or you don't have to find a company that has the same values as you. When, when you build a worker-owned cooperative, it is, they are your values. They are sitting from that core out. So if you value the earth, you value the environment, you get to build from that. Hmm. And that becomes, you know, that becomes that other eight hours that you do with your time and your energy and attention. It becomes something that, you know, you know you're not participating in the damage part of the building on you. Hmm. 
Mm. You're not sort of alienated mm. from the fruits of your labor like in a yeah. traditional capitalist yeah. business. Yeah. Well, and it's not extracted from you because I think that's the key of it. Like, I mean, I just heard of a group that looking to build a developer's cooperative, yeah? And, I mean, the conversations we've had, Dana, around building a builder's cooperative, those industries, developers and builders, those, those, there's so many ways that, that your eight hours is actually extracted to, to make the, the company you work for another couple of thousand, mm. yeah? But you never see that, mm. yeah? And, and I think that's, that's the bit. I mean, if we get to compound our, our time, if our, if our work makes a lot of money, like coding or, or those sorts of things, all sorts of different things that we, you put your eight hours in and in actual fact you make something that's worth hundreds of thousands of dollars for some, in some industries, mm. but the person who did the work never gets the money. I mean, I'm talking to a bunch of scientists and, and mathematicians. It's like, you guys built amazing things. Again, really extractive. Rarely do they ever work a worker-owned cooperative. Like, I'd love to see a, co- a worker-owned cooperative scientist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like a, like a worker-owned <laughs> CSIRO or something. Yeah, something that where they're building solution, really powerful solution that really makes it in the market, they get to, you know, share of that. They get to define where it goes. I mean, and scientists often are, are the quite extracted. Like, often what it is that they work on then gets, you know, militarized or it turns into something else that they never intended it to be yeah mm. and again if they don't own it they don't get to say in what happens to it or so, some competing sort of a hostile industry <clears throat> buys out the patents and buries yep. it and then yep 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 shuts it all down and then they never get to see the work never gets to see the light of day and then i mean yeah mm. so worker and cooperatives hopefully you know earthwork energy manufacturing hopefully is is um a uh, incredible example for most of the valley to hopefully all of the valley to recognize, you know, we could build a brand new valley. Like we could build one where no one gets to tell them what they're worth. Like to me, the valley's had, when the government sold it all out and, and basically told the entire working population of those places, you're worth nothing to us, we're just going to send you on. And that was such a devastating moment for the valley. And then... And then now that we've got private companies who just you go, uh, you know, I think we're done, and we're just going to shut that down now with no notice, no no one, no transition. Hmm. So, and then Coles and Myers or Coles and, and Target and other companies go, well, you know what, you're pretty, you know, low social group now. We don't think we're going to stay. We're going to leave too. So there's all these external forces telling Morwell and Lowy and the Valley what these human beings are worth. And I, and I, I really object to that. I don't think any organisation gets to tell you you're not worth our attention. We're not going to stick around. Yeah. I, think it's, I think it's really wrong. And, uh, and to me, the worker owner cooperative is a way through that, past that, and saying, well, you know, back in here. <laughs> we're going to build something of value anyway, <laughs> whether yeah. you think we're worth something or not. Mm. We're going to build something of value. And that, it, that, that can make a difference. Yeah, renewables are an, an incredible industry. It's also a really tough industry, and it's an industry full of noise, and it's an industry full of junk from China. And if we don't participate in building really strong stuff um, in Australia, in manufacturing, then, you know, we're all going to be still getting junk from China. <laughs> so we need to invest again in our manufacturing in this country. Which mm. I know a lot of people say, well, it's all gone. No, it's not all gone. It's still here. We're still here. Mm. You can't make the thousand percent interest ROIs on it, but maybe that's the thing. Maybe maybe worker on cooperatives don't aren't looking for a thousand 
100% ROIs. Maybe what they're looking for is honest living, yeah, earning an honest living, doing the livelihood that they that they love to do and they want to do. Mm. Yeah. And All right, um, we've got to wrap it up pretty shortly. Thank you. Um, just quickly though, there's a factory open day coming up in about a month, and can you just tell people quickly about that and how can people support <laughs> the energy co-op? Uh, so you need to confirm the date on that. Um, so checking in on the website, energy.coop.com. Energycooperative.coop. Yep. And it's there's a website there. Yep. We've got we'll have the details of the um, of a factory open day, and of course, yeah, let us know if you want a heat pump and a solar tank, a solar ready tank. Word. All right. Well, um, thanks heaps for talking with us this morning, Catherine. Thanks heaps, Zane, for the opportunity. And uh, yeah, keep on uh, keep on kicking goals and uh, uh, keep on giving birth to that kick-ass energy co-op out there in Norwell. <laughs> it's where? really good to see. Thank you. All right, talk to you Thank soon. Thank you, Bye. Bye. Cunningham there, the Secretary of Earthworker Energy Co-op. And we are going to wrap it up and hand over the baton to Beyond Zero Emissions. So have a festive weekend, and we will catch you again next Friday. This brings us to the end of the show. You have been listening to Friday Morning Breakfast with Green Left Radio. Brought to you by the Green Left Weekly Newspaper, which provides a weekly source of alternative information which aims to inspire action to put people and the environment first. If you would like to subscribe to the newspaper and get it delivered to your door, you can do so by visiting the website at greenleft.org.au or call 1-800-634-206. For new subscribers, it is only $10 for the first six issues. Repeats of the show and interviews are podcasts on our homepage on the 3CR website. Thank you for listening. You are tuned into 3CR Community Radio, 855 Digital on the AM dial and streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Start sometime. What better place than here? What better time than now? A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in order.